0: Hi everyone, thank you for joining the first episode of SBC Leaders podcast. I'm Kelly Keene, the Global Relationship Director for SBC. SBC Leaders is a membership of preeminent operators and operator associations um, that was formed to provide a forum for their leadership teams in order to share ideas, collaborate, um, promote innovation and work to enhance the industry's reputation. Given that, it will come as no surprise then that my first guest is Matt King, the CEO of FanDuel Group, and arguably the man with the most comprehensive view of the marketplace as it currently stands due to the company's leadership presence across a very rapidly growing U.S. marketplace. Matt began his tenure as CEO in 2017. In 2018, Paddy Power Betfair, now Flutter Entertainment, acquired the majority stake in the company. FanDuel has since grown to 12.5-plus million customers, enjoys a 43% market share, and in 2020 saw significant growth despite a lack of sports for long periods due to the pandemic. Those are some impressive stats, and with that, it is my pleasure to welcome Matt King to the show. Hi, Matt.
1: Hey, Kelly. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, thanks for being here. Um, We're going to start with a little bit of business talk, and then the hope is to get to know what makes you, you. So um, can you give us an update as to where FanDuel currently stands in the US betting market? Current states where you're active, I know it changes daily almost. It does change.
1: It's constantly changing. So we are the largest online real money gaming operator in the US. We operate um, really a full spectrum of gaming products, everything from online horse racing to fantasy sports sports betting, and iGaming. We are each products in a number of different states. So we have something going on in every state. Um, Some states it's free to play only, um, our sports book, which is obviously kind of one of the big growth drivers of the business is currently operational in 10 states, um, we have online gaming in three and then, um, horse racing in a little over 30 and then fantasy in a little over 40.
0: Wow that that's pretty impressive. And there's no wonder that you're now sort of claiming 43% market share. I'm gonna ask a PASPA question. Um, as it sort of recedes far into the rearview mirror, can you tell us a little bit about what that journey's been like for you, for Vangel Group? And since it's repeal, is everything growing in line with expectations? I remember sort of back in 2014 and 15 when there was all these expectations and we're kind of in the middle of it now.
1: Yeah. No, I would say growth has far exceeded expectations. Um, You know, if you think about a lot of the way that those estimates kind of pre-past war come up was kind of trying to triangulate how big an illegal market was. And the reality is, I think a lot of those estimates were understated in terms of how big the illegal market was. And then I think the second thing you've seen is that product innovations have helped drive adoption amongst kind of people that weren't active in the illegal market, what we would call sideline spectators is a kind of consumer mm-hmm. cohort. Um, and so we've been able to bring in new people that were sports fans before, but bring them into betting as a way to enhance the sporting experience.
0: And, and what sort of product innovation do you think was most effective in that?
1: In the early days of any market, the biggest product innovations are the basic stuff, right? How do you make it easy to sign up for an account easy to find your first bet, easy to understand what's going to happen um, and really educating customers. And so some of the innovations were not sexy, um, but they were really important in terms of making it a good first time experience. And then as you've gotten people in there, you, one of the product enhancements that we're most proud of is our same game parlay product, which is kind of the ultimate sports fans dream of, I can now put together a bet that says, I think there's five things that are all going to happen in this game. And let me see what the odds of all five things happening would be. And obviously it's much more of a entertainment product, but it's something that we've seen a lot of users gravitate to.
0: Yeah. Do you think these product innovations are building stronger sports fans?
1: I do. If You look at the through line of everything that we do, we effectively make sports more exciting for people. Our products are a way for sports fans to engage in sports the way that they've become accustomed to engaging in other digital products, right? So if you think about the growth of just video gaming in general, like people want to engage. If you think about the growth of uh, social media, a lot of that's around personalization and engagement. And so really what we're doing is delivering products that help sports, frankly, come into the 21st century relative to where they might otherwise be. Is it just a static kind of content consumption experience?
0: Yeah. My my first ever job was in horse racing, so I can sort of uh, speak to how far it's come and how very little time. I think that's uh, true of a lot of things these days. One COVID question, that's it. And then, and then we'll move on. Um, obviously, the impact of COVID has focused attention on mobile and the potential to help fill some of the state coffers, right? Yeah. Um, that's become even more evident, I think. And, you know, we see some of the restricted retail operations going on, right? Especially during the pandemic. What's your view on that? And is there a danger that we may see the end of retail sports books because of the way things have moved?
1: I don't think you're going to see the end of retail sports books. I think you'll see retail sports books need to evolve the same way any retail experience needs to evolve. I think you know, the, the thing I would point out is, Online is not a full substitute for the retail experience. Um, you know, the reason that sports is such a powerful force in our culture is the ritual around it. And one yeah. part of that ritual has always been gathering with your friends and your family. And so I think it you know, post COVID, I think you will see people bring back some of those rituals. And that means that you know, they will go back to retail sports books, um, which I think, frankly, gives us a leg up relative to, know, if you were just a department store or another retail location where the, I would argue that the online shopping experience is a much better substitute good um, than online sports betting is for people that want that retail experience. Cause you get, we can clearly deliver a great sports betting product experience, but we can't deliver the entire kind of social experience that a lot of people are looking for when they go to a retail sports book. And candidly, a lot of our users do both. Right. They like to bet, you know, on the app during the week. But on the weekends, their ideal day is to go to the sports book and hang out with their friends. And I think people will go back to that.
0: Great. Thank you for that. Yeah, let's hope maybe more more will come back, you know, given how long they have to stay away at the moment. There was there was an article I think I mentioned it earlier. There was an article in Forbes where we were talking about the Super Bowl pretty recently and um, I was I was really interested to read that you said something that it's not important if, if you made money as a betting event, right? If the Super Bowl made money as a betting event. And some might say that's somewhat counterintuitive uh, philosophy for the CEO of the biggest uh, sports book in the US, especially one with a financial background such as yours. So how, how would you sort of comment on that?
1: So I think it really comes down to what do you view yourself to be, right? I think a lot of sports books and i think the historical stereotype of a sports book is that you are a trading operation right that your job is you know to effectively take risk on from betters and you know you make money over time by just making sure that you know your risk management is better than somebody else's and you're effectively a trading house and i think our view is that we're an entertainment business um you know at the end of the day we need to build a product experience where um, we deliver a good value for somebody's dollar. And, mm-hmm. and so if I think about the Super Bowl, you know, it's really less about, do we win or lose on an event like that, but more about, do I deliver a good product experience for people? Because that is the day when probably I'll have the most actives that I'll have all year. And if I deliver a great experience, I know that they'll come back over time, um, in a way that eventually, you know, it'll turn out to be kind of a good value for me um, as the sports book. But at the end of the day, it's really about delivering entertain a good entertainment value day in
0: and day out. Great. Thank you for that. Speaking of people and caring about customers and caring about people, you have a really great team. And the people I've met who work at FanDuel are doing a lot. And you you mentioned horse racing and online casino and di- in fantasy and, and as well as your sports book, what's a typical day look like for you?
1: Um,
0: what's your focus on? <laughs> it,
1: it would be cliche to say it, it you know, there is no typical day. I think yeah. the, the reality is you can break my job probably down into three buckets. You know, one is, um, the day-to-day operations of the business, which is, you know, we have a great team. And so really my role and kind of day-to-day operational discussions is helping make sure that in, we're also focused on building a great long-term business while we're executing in the short-term. So that would be bucket one. Bucket two would be product and technology. And so, you know, my view is that product and tech will eventually determine who wins or loses the category. And so we have a great product today we want to make sure that we maintain our product leadership position and that requires significant investment in product and technology. And so I, I spend a lot of time with the team, making sure that we're moving that forward again, in a way that delivers short-term enhancements to the user, but also lays the right foundation for a long-term product leadership position. And then the third bucket of time is just building our team. Um, you know, we are a rapidly growing business. Um, and for all of the great product and technology we built, Those are built by people. Our marketing programs and our brand is built by people. And so our employees are at the core of what we do. Um, And so I spend a lot of my time making sure that we're building uh, and onboarding uh, the right people as we grow the team.
0: Great. In a market that's so high growth like the US, do you find it hard to find talent or are you developing the talent? Where, Where are these people coming from?
1: We're doing a bit of both. We believe very strongly in giving internal people opportunities to advance. Um, that said, we're growing at a rate that you know, not all of our jobs can be fulfilled by internal roles. And then two, yeah. I do think that there's a lot we can learn from other digital businesses. And so as we grow our team, we're conscious about onboarding people that um, bring a variety of skill sets and experience sets to make our kind of overall you know, the brain, the collective brain at FanDuel much smarter. Um, yeah. and so, you know, we are, we look to kind of fill roles through a mix of internal and external, is it hard to find people? It's absolutely always hard to find good people. Um, so we put a lot of people in the top of the interview funnel. Um, you know, I think if you looked at our acceptance rates for jobs, yeah, you know, they would be on par with the most selective employers out there. And that's a function of you know, the quality of people that we're looking for, I think. The benefit that we have is you know, sports is a great cultural tailwind. Um, yeah. It's a great unifier of people. And if I can take a really compelling job and say, oh, and by the way, this is a, in a sports technology business, oftentimes, you know, we are somebody's top choice as an employer. Um, and so we're fortunate that, you know, we still have to do a lot of work to find great people. Um, yeah. But once we find them, you know, we find that we have a pretty compelling value proposition for them.
0: And as you grow, is it, it does it become harder to maintain culture, the culture that you've built?
1: I think that it's, I think there is always a half-life to culture, right? Growing or not, you know, if you're not yeah. constantly embodying and revisiting what your culture is and how do you make sure that people are living up to that, um, right. it's easy for it to start to erode. And so it is definitely an issue that we're very sensitive to. I think one of the things that probably is unique to the challenge of growth is the fact that, you know, as you scale, you do need more infrastructure and process just to make sure things don't go totally awry. And we also operate in a regulated business. And so things like compliance matter. And so one of the things we spend a lot of time on is finding that right balance between still empowering people um to do their absolute best and really kind of create their you know where they see opportunity have an impact day in and day out but also do that through the lens of being clear about how they sit in the overall organization and how we all need to operate as one team in order to win
0: yeah great thank you for that um so when you're not doing those three things, <laughs> the three buckets that you're working on, do you, do you get any downtime? What do you like to do in your downtime?
1: Uh, I get a little bit of downtime. Um, you know, I love the outdoors. Uh, so, you know, my wife and I will go for hikes or other things. Um, also love to cook. Um, and so I cook a lot. And, you have know, you know, gone through many cooking adventures in the age of COVID. Um, and so just generally like to, frankly, enjoy things in life.
0: Come on, tell us the cooking adventure.
1: Uh, I started to make Detroit style pizza um, during COVID. So uh, that was one of the, I think easier, You know, in terms of ease of doing it, it takes a long time, but relatively easy to do, but the end product was pretty good. So uh, that's definitely one that we'll repeat.
0: Okay, sorry for my ignorance, but I've lived in London for a long time. Is Detroit style like thick pizza?
1: It is thick, but it's square and then Ah, the order of the toppings is different. So you typically start with a layer of cheese, like pepperoni, (sighs) more cheese, and then the sauce actually goes on top. Um, and it's a slightly airier crust, um, than your Chicago style deep dish.
0: Excellent. Can we talk about on, on Twitter, you're a self-proclaimed sports media geek. Can we talk a little bit about sports and how do your love of sports how, how does that sort of shape what you do on a daily basis or inform your approach i should say on a daily basis and we want to hear about who your sports teams are
1: so i am a not the kind of most avid sports fan particularly when i started this job so um i've grown to love sports in a way that um came somewhat later in life um mm-hmm. I've always been fascinated by kind of sports and culture. Um, but you, when I kind of made that self proclamation of being a sports media geek, like a lot of that's just about, I I think sports is really interesting to track through the disruption that's going on and kind of across the media landscape. Right. And so as a, for instance, I think that a lot of people will talk about like ratings being down and instantly equate that to young people don't care about sports. And the reality is I would take the opposite view, which is I think people of all generations care about sports. I think the way that younger generations want to consume sports, the way they want to watch it is just very different. It's shorter intervals, it's different platforms. It's not sitting in front of a TV in a passive way for three hours. And so I think that's one of the places that's really interesting in terms of how a company like FanDuel can fit into the ecosystem in terms of helping connect sports fans and create experiences for those younger generations of sports fans that they're not gonna get through a, a traditional kind of TV viewing experience. So
0: you're not gonna tell us who your fa- your teams are?
1: Oh, favorite teams, look, I, I am I am in a, a, Chicago is my adopted hometown. Um, so I would say both the Cubs and the White Sox, I, because yeah. I'm an adopted Chicagoan, I can say both. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I, from a football perspective um, you know, I grew up a giants fan. Um, yeah. I I'm from Baltimore, but I was kind of in between the period when the Colts had left and before the Ravens got there. So I took on the giants as an adopted team. Um, right. you know, but generally, you know, I think there's so many interesting stories in sports, you know, whether it's what's going on with like the nets now um, in basketball, you know, or any number of other kind of stories that are out there. It's just it's a really interesting time to be kind of a sports fan. I
0: agree. I agree. If we stick on the sort of sports teams and fans uh, topic, you just announced together with the Washington football team, uh, you'll be making a one million contribution to the United Negro College Fund. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Sure. Um, We take very seriously being a kind of leading local citizen. Um, and we also take very seriously, you know, how do we use sports to create opportunity for people of all backgrounds? Um, and you know, what was great about, we had just launched in Virginia and we have this great partnership with the Washington football team. And we had aligned around this idea of wanting to do something to reinvest back into the community. And the United Negro college fund was a really, really compelling way to do that because the assistance went directly to students that needed um, money to help stay in school. And so you know, for us, it was a win-win. Um, and But just kind of one small thing and an overall you know, program of diversity and inclusion initiatives that we've undertaken as a business.
0: That's great. And I think uh, your point of being a good sort of community citizen will resonate with with your high growth and looking for new employees as well. Um, that's great to hear. With DraftKings having successfully listed and the score going alive on NASDAQ, how do you feel about a similar route being taken from FanDuel? And is there market appetite for an IPO? You
1: should ask others if there's market appetite. I think from our perspective, it's still the early innings. What we're focused yeah. on is just growing the business. And we know that you know, if we build you know, the best business that we can and continue to defend our leadership position, that we'll be in good stead for many years to come.
0: I want to ask one more question about some of the deals that you have going on and then we'll wrap it up but um sort of in the past couple months dc united washington football team some deals with turner sports charles barkley detroit pistons and on the horse racing side in fairmont park how excited are you about these sort of new and interesting growing opportunities and are we going to see more of them
1: You'll absolutely see more. I mean, I'm incredibly excited about the quality of partner that we have. You know, if you look at everything from, you know, our presence in the Meadowlands and creating the biggest sports book in the world to things like Turner, you know, we've done partnerships that really do usually serve kind of multiple purposes. One is enhance the fan experience. Um, Mm -hmm. So a deal like the Meadowlands or a deal like Fairmount Park allows us to partner with a physical location where we can use retail to bring our brand to life, um, and create a better experience. If similarly a deal like Turner, you know, helps integrate us into the, in a very organic way into the broader sports experience. And so, you know, we will continue to look for partnerships that allow us to enhance our brand, enhance the fan experience and deliver, continue to deliver a differentiated product to our users. Um, And so you'll absolutely see more of them.
0: And just before we wrap up, what's the next page in the story of Fandle or, or what are we in for next?
1: Yeah, I think what you're going to see is obviously continued expansion of the business. I think you're, you're very much at a tipping point in the U S in terms of states turning on, um, another legislative cycle or two. And I think you'll see a continued expansion of the total addressable market. Um, and so you'll see that scaling is a key theme. Um, I think once you get to a point where 50% of the population has access to sports betting, I think you'll see a tipping point in terms of the media integrations and other things that are available. Um, and then from a product perspective, you know, we have a very robust roadmap of you know innovation for the next two or three years that we're super excited about. And so we'll look to continue to set the pace on product you know for the industry.
0: Well, we'll all be watching. Thank you for sharing all that with us, Matt. That is the end of our podcast. So I will say what a pleasure it was to have you on, Matt. Thank you so much for being so candid with us and sharing.
1: Thank you for having Um, me on.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks a lot. This has been the first episode of SBC Leaders Podcast, where we get to know the leaders behind the industry's biggest brands. I'm Kelly Keene, Global Relationship Director for SBC, and you can catch us on gamblingtv.com. Subscribe on our YouTube channel or find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast site. Thanks for watching.